A reading from Acts chapter 10, starting at verse 34. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, telling the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, can anyone keep these people from being baptized with water? They have received the Holy Spirit, just as we have. So we ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this passage. We thank you for the story of Peter and Cornelius and the incredible miracle that took place as the Holy Spirit was poured out upon that household we pray that you would help us to understand what that means for our ministry today and how this can guide us into the future. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. How does a congregation move forward? How does a church go into the future doing Christian ministry? Whether we like it or not, time marches on. Next year, it will be another year, and in another 10 years, we will be a decade on. Time is moving on. How do we move forward? How do we decide what ministry is going to look like in the coming months, years, and decades? Well, there are a couple of options. One is to rely on tradition. Let's just do what we've always done. All we have to do is take the past as a template, uh, change the name of the year, and we move forward. We do the things that we've done before. And there's something attractive about that. Uh, first of all, there is a proven track record. You're not trying something brand new. Uh, if something has worked in the past, there's a pretty good chance it, it might be somewhat effective at least. Uh, you're not starting with a blank slate. And so you have some idea of what has worked before. There's also a sense of comfort in relying on tradition and doing what 
was done in the past. It's kind of like uh, the difference between having your favorite pair of shoes that maybe you've had for five or ten years and they're perfectly fitted to your foot and they're so comfortable and then you get that brand new pair of shoes that you have to break in and you're getting blisters that first couple of days. Sometimes that's what it feels like. It's just a lot more comfortable relying on tradition. If we can just do what we did before, if we just continue in that direction, then we'll be comfortable and maybe God will work in that. So that is an option for us. There's another option that some churches go for, and that is to seek out innovation, to constantly be changing. Now, there's a challenge with this because even things that are familiar were innovation once. Uh, it was about 20 years ago, I suppose, when PowerPoint projection had become the, the new thing, the innovation that was taking place. And then years before that, we had the overhead projectors. And of course, we have our hymn books. Now, some people think, oh, we want to go back to the old hymn books. But you know, at some point, those hymn books were an innovation. There was a, a first time when songs were printed on a page and handed out to a congregation. So uh, even the most beloved traditions at some point were an innovation. So innovation is going to happen. But for some people, there's something attractive about changing constantly. Uh, we hear stories about what happened in another church, how they have been effective in doing something. They tried something in their community and it really took off. They had a huge impact. And there's a tendency for us to, to look at those stories and say, well, if we can duplicate that, if we duplicate their methods, then we can duplicate their results as well. Because oftentimes these churches and these pastors will write a book sharing their stories, and rightfully so, they should share those stories because there is much to learn. But we may make the assumption that if we just do what they did, it will work the same way despite any differences in context. So these are the, the kind of tendencies that we have. And there is attractiveness to both of them. I, I feel both of them. I, I am a person of tradition. I love tradition. I appreciate the things of the past. But I also uh, appreciate change as well. I want to be on the cutting edge. I want to be doing what is relevant. But there are problems with both of them as well. When it comes to tradition, do we, uh, do we refuse to change no matter what? Is there anything that can get us to change, or are those traditions uh, so beloved that, that we dare not touch them? And what about those who focus on innovation? Do we change just for the sake of changing? Uh, is, is that our only motivation? It, it's not that uh, the, the new methods have stopped working, but we just want to make sure that we are, are ongoing changing all the time. Those are some of the problems that we face with both of those things. There's got to be a better way. There must be some other way than refusing to change or changing all the time just for the sake of changing. And I think the scriptures give us guidance in that. And we're going to take a look at that as we look at the story of Peter and Cornelius. Now, last week we looked at the beginning part of this story and we saw how God had to break through Peter's prejudice, that uh, Peter saw the Gentiles as being unclean, and so God had to work mightily in his life through a, an incredible vision 
to get Peter to be open to preaching to the Gentiles in the way that he did. And what we need to realize is that all of that that we looked at last week was simply to get Peter into the door. That's all. He just needed to get Peter through the door into the house to be able to speak to Cornelius in his household. And it's in the rest of the passage that we find out what happened. And who knows what Peter was expecting when it came to that. Well, when it came to Gentiles, there was a couple of options that the, uh, the Jewish Christians had. Uh, one was that they could just ignore the Gentiles. That was a, a viable option. Uh, even Jesus really spent by far the majority of his time with Jewish people. Uh, he spent very, very little time with Gentiles. There's a couple of examples, but not many at all. Uh, all of the 12 that Jesus called, they were all Jewish. And the emphasis was always on Jesus as the Jewish Messiah. The, uh, the earliest church uh, was all made of Jewish believers. And so there, there seems to be some precedence here for just ignoring Gentiles. Just, just focus on, on the Jewish people. Just get them to accept Jesus as their Messiah, and that would be enough. Another option would be to convert the Gentiles. Now, when I say convert the Gentiles, I mean something very specific, not just telling them about Jesus, but converting them to Judaism, because this was always an option for Gentiles to become Jews. They could convert just as uh, they can today. Uh, they could uh, back in the time of the early church as well. And so one option would be to get the Gentiles to convert to Judaism, and then they could become Jewish believers in Jesus. And that seemed to be the only two options available. However, God chose a third way. He had a different way, and that's what we see in this passage. Uh, God has got Peter in there. He begins to tell the story of Jesus and all of the things that had happened about the death, about the resurrection. And who knows what, what Peter was expecting, what he thought might happen, but it probably wasn't what actually happened. We see that the Holy Spirit is poured out upon Cornelius and his household while Peter was still preaching. P Peter didn't even get to finish his sermon. He didn't even get to the altar call. He was still preaching, and the Holy Spirit was poured out. And that was a sign that God had fully welcomed them. But the problem is, God kind of missed a step there, because according to the, the common wisdom of the time, those Gentiles should have converted to Judaism first, and then they could believe in Jesus and, and receive the Holy Spirit. But God didn't wait for that. He skipped that step and just gave them the Holy Spirit without them ever becoming converted, without them being circumcised or anything like that. He just went right for the Holy Spirit. In fact, the way Luke describes this for us is very, very similar to the day of Pentecost as we find in Acts chapter 2. In fact, many people will describe this passage here as the Gentile Pentecost. And those parallels are really important because they tell us that God is accepting the Gentiles exactly as he accepted those Jewish believers in Acts chapter 2. And he's accepting 
accepting them exactly as they are without expecting them to have changed beforehand to uh, have become Jewish, to become circumcised, to take on the law, all of those things. All of those things were, were skipped and God accepted them. And this was an amazing thing. Now, the, the church had a choice on how to respond to this. What do you do? Because what God has done here is not really the plan that they had. That's not how they expected things would go. And so one option would be to rebel against what God is doing. That, that was an option. Certainly in the Old Testament, there's plenty of people who rebelled against God. Unfortunately, the Old Testament doesn't give very good outcomes for those rebellions. So that wasn't really an attractive option. The other option for them was to just get on board with what God is doing, to look and say, you know what? We don't necessarily agree with this, but God seems to accept these Gentiles we see what God is doing, and we're just going to have to go with it. We are just going to get alongside what God is already doing. And that is the, the option that they went with, at least officially. There were many people who struggled with this. In fact, we're going to see as we continue in Acts that there were many of these Jewish Christians who struggled with the idea of Gentiles being welcomed as they were. And we see the same thing in Paul's letters. This was a big controversy. It made some people very, very uncomfortable. This is not the way they had always done things, and yet God didn't really seem to care. Uh, his uh, biggest interest didn't seem to be their comfort, and so we see that going on and on. But what happened is they had to get on board with what God was doing. Now, this story is great news for us because, as I said last week, we really are spiritual uh, children to Cornelius. Uh, Cornelius was the, the first Gentile to come into the church without having to convert to Judaism. He was welcomed as a Gentile, and most of us are Gentiles. And so uh, this is an important passage for us. This was the doorway by which we have entered into the church. So this is great. But the question we have to ask is, was this the last time that God acted in an amazing way? And did God just set the church on autopilot that he did his thing with Cornelius and now everything is just going along. We just follow the pattern and uh, their things will go on uh, business as usual. Is that really what's going on? No, that is not the case at all. God is still at work. And so we have to ask that question. Uh, how do we move forward as a church? Are we just going to follow tradition? Are we just going to say, you know what? This is what worked in the past. And so I'm comfortable with that. Let's duplicate that. Or are we going to look to innovation and say, you know what? This worked somewhere else. And so we're just going to duplicate what they did and hope for the best, hope that we can duplicate the results. What if there is another option? What if we went with the option that is described here, the option of looking for where God is at work and getting alongside with what God is already doing? Now, I will tell you, it seems a lot simpler just to duplicate the past or to duplicate what change some other church or organization has done, but this idea of coming alongside what God is already doing is 
the biblical way of doing it. But the challenge is, how do you know what God is doing? It's easy for me to stand here and say, let's just get on board with what God is doing. But what is God doing? How do we know that? How do we find out what God is doing? Well, part of it is to just make space to listen to the voice of God, to hear what God is doing. So that includes prayer. We need to be spending uh, more and more time in prayer. Uh, many people complain about the situation we're in for COVID-19, but if, if nothing else, it has given us time for prayer. So we need to be praying. But the prayer that we're talking about is not just about asking things. It's not even just about going to God and saying, uh, tell us what we're supposed to do. Although we should pray that prayer. That is an important prayer. But at some point, we need to be quiet. We need to actually listen. That's a part of prayer. I don't know if you realize that, but silence is a part of prayer. It's not just about talking. If you're just talking, that's a monologue. That's not a dialogue, and that's not prayer. We need to listen for God. Remember, when God spoke to Peter, it's when he was quiet. That's when the vision came, and Peter heard from God. How are we going to hear from God if we don't listen. So that's a part of what we need to do. We also need to observe what is happening in our community. And to observe what is happening in our community, that means we have to get involved in our community. We need to be present. We have to get out of our comfort zones. We have to be around other people, not just church people, but to see, uh, be around other people uh, in our community and to just watch what is happening, what is going on. Where do we see God at work? Now, I realize that as I say that, that there is a, a fear, at least it's a fear that comes to my mind, which is, uh, does that mean we have to solve every problem that's out there? That we walk down the streets of downtown St. Catharines, we see that the problems of addiction and poverty and homelessness, we see uh, businesses that are struggling, uh, we see... Um, people who are just uh, completely embracing secularism. Uh, we, we see people uh, adopting views that may not uh, go along with uh, historic Christianity. And you think, oh, that's so much. How do we do that? How do we respond to all of these things? Observing what God is doing doesn't mean looking at all of the needs and trying to solve all of them, especially not at the same time. That is not what I'm talking about at all. The way that I have found it to be helpful is to, first of all, look at what the needs are. Observe. Don't be quick to act. Just observe what's going on. What are the needs? What are the challenges that are out there? What are the problems? See how that overlaps with the resources that God has given us. And also be watching for how God is putting us into position to bring those two things together. Those are the kinds of things that we have to be watching for. And it takes work, it takes discernment, it takes prayer, it takes patience. But that's what we need to do if we're going to watch what God is doing and then eventually get alongside. There's going to be a temptation for many of us to say, you know what, let's just look to the glory days. Let's look to the time when this church was booming, when the pews were full, the, the offering plate was overflowing. And let's look at the things that they were doing at that time and duplicate that. Let's just do what they were doing 
and it, we will get back to those old days and everything is going to be great. Well, our context has changed. That is not going to work. We can't do that. Some other people are, have uh, visited another church or maybe they've gone to a website or they've read this exciting book and they've heard these incredibly innovative ideas. They're so good. And they're going to say, you know what? Let's just do what they're doing. This church, uh, someplace in the United States, they, they, they tried this thing and it worked really, really well in their community. And if we do the same thing, it's going to happen here. All we have to do is duplicate it. When we, if we innovate, if we change the way they change, things are going to be great. Well, our situation is different. Our context is different. Maybe there's some principles there that we can learn from. Maybe it would work completely different. We don't know. It's not a silver bullet. What we need to be doing is to be doing what happened in the book of Acts. We need to be looking for what God is doing. Where is God at work right now? Who is he working in? Where are the needs that overlaps with what we are able to provide? How is God speaking to each of us? What are the burdens that he is putting upon our hearts? Those are the things that we need to do. I'll tell you, when God did this with Peter and the uh, Gentiles were brought in the way they were, that caused so many problems. That was messy. The church was trying to clean up that mess for decades after that. It was so uh, incredible the way it worked out. Yeah, and a lot of people kind of wished that God hadn't worked in that way. But that's what God did. And so when we are looking for the ways God is at work, we have to realize we might not like the way God is at work. Maybe God isn't completely interested in our comfort. Maybe he is more interested in building the kingdom. I, I've heard stories of when uh, many years ago, out of the cold was first started here at Queen Street and our, our church building was opened up and that there were people who were concerned saying, do we really want to do this? Like this sounds messy. This sounds like it's going to cause a lot of problems. And you know what? There were problems and there were messy times. And, and there was a lot of times that uh, a lot of work and thought had to be put into how do we solve these issues that we're facing? And yet that's what was believed that God was leading this congregation in back at that time. We have to be watching today. What is God doing in our community and how does he want us to respond? Let us pray. God, we thank you that Peter listened to you, that he not only went into the house of Cornelius and preached the gospel, but that as he saw you pour out your spirit upon that household, he got alongside what you were doing. He may not have liked it. He may not have agreed with the way that you did things, but he got alongside. God, we need that same courage and boldness and flexibility to be able to look at what you're doing. So we pray that you would speak to us, speak to our leadership, speak to our congregation, help us to see the things that you're doing in our community, Lead us in the ways that we need to move forward. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.